1: How much does the average person know about Alexander Hamilton 1755 or 1757 to 1804. Would we have guessed that this hero of many fiscal conservatives wrote a national debt, if it is not excessive will lead us will be to us a national blessing, it will be a powerful cement of our union. Most of us know that he was killed by his political enemy, Aaron Burr, in a duel. But before that fatal encounter, Hamilton engaged in major rows with several of his fellow founding fathers, notably Thomas Jefferson, but also James Madison and John Adams. Because he cared so deeply about the fate of the newly established United States and its foreign relations, he dipped his pen in rhetorical vitriol, describing many of his rivals and former close allies, in private letters and in public writings detailing where, where he felt they had gone wrong and were, in his view, harming the country. <clears throat> the angrier side of this brilliant man is on full view in the compendious 2017 two-volume set, The Political Writings of Alexander Hamilton, Volume 1, to 1769-1789, and The Political Writings of Alexander Hamilton, Volume 2, eight, 1789-1804, to edited by Bradford P. Wilson and Carson Holloway. We are also afforded glimpses of the ambitious 14-year-old clerk Hamilton vowing to better himself and longing for a war that might afford him the opportunity for just such advancement. We read the letters he wrote during the War of Independence, which brought him into the circle of George Washington. In that war, Hamilton served bravely and bitterly criticized a brand-new Congress that oversaw and, in Hamilton's view, mismanaged the conflict. We are able to read the letter Hamilton wrote to his wife to be read in the event of his death in the duel, and follow the public and behind-the-scenes campaign that that Hamilton led against Burr, which precipitated the fateful encounter. This collection of writings is probably best perused with a search engine at the ready, so as to look up the members of the sprawling cast of characters in it, such as the many recipients of Hamilton's extensive correspondence, and to read about the origins of the many pseudonyms he employed, example, Lucius Crassus. The documents are presented with little annotation, so some work is required by readers who possess little knowledge of the period. But because so much of the material encompassed is is relevant to our day, the investment of time is well worth it. Hamilton laid the groundwork for the legal and political environment we live in, and his influence is felt in everything from banking and government finance to libel Mm. and bankruptcy law to the structure and scope of powers of the judiciary. As a serving and former soldier, Hamilton took an active interest in the organization of the military and in veterans' affairs, and played a vital role in preventing unrest in the ranks in the ranks in the unsettled days following the cessation of active hostilities with Britain in the Revolutionary War. He was deeply involved in the Citizen Genet affair and helped the young nation traverse tricky di- diplomatic terrain as France and Britain battled for supremacy. All of this is offered up in the book we're discussing today. The tone of the many letters, partisan policy papers, proto op-eds, and governmental reports featured in the book runs, runs the gamut from ruthless ridicule to the coolly analytic, to bitter despair, to fury and contempt at what Hamilton saw as behavior damaging to the infant republic he loved. Hamilton took offense easily and wrote both voluminously and hot-bloodedly in his own defense. No spin doctors for him. Today, we will talk to Mr. Wilson about this important collection of the political writings of that rare combination of man of action and world-shaping public intellectual that was Alexander Hamilton. Hello, everyone. My name is Hope J. Lehman, and I am one of the hosts of the New Books Network. I'm talking today with Bradford P. Wilson, one of the two editors of the 2017 two volume set, The Political Writings of Alexander Hamilton, Volume 1, 1769 to 1789, and The Political Writings of Alexander Hamilton, Volume 2, 1789 to 1804. His co editor is Carson Holloway. Thank you for joining us today, Brad.
0: Well, thank you, Hope. I'm honored to, to join uh, you and the New Books Network, which I'm a big fan of. Oh. Had, well, I mean, you've had so many of my friends uh, on to talk about their books. So many of these friends have been fellows in the James Madison program, which I have the privilege to serve at Princeton. And it's just uh, wonderful to see the platform you've given to all those wonderful scholars. Thank you. Oh.
1: Well, I'll have to credit Marshall Poe, who is our our founder and our esteemed leader, and he is just a marvelous person. And he cre- yeah, I, I agree, I created this wonderful platform, and I'm so grateful to him, because it gives me the chance to talk to distinguished people like you. And you already precipitated my question, because I was going to say, can you tell us about your academic home, the James Madison Program, and American <laughs> Ideals and <laughs> Institutions, and you've done it. So we'll yes. move on to the book then.
2: Yes, yes.
1: One thing I'd like to make clear to listeners is that the book is, is not heavily annotated. You let Hamilton speak. For himself, say for the last for the last pages of the second volume, which contains some dramatic accounts of the famous duel with Burr and tributes to him made in the immediate aftermath of his, of Hamilton's death at Burr's hands, and then some tributes made years later by such luminaries as Alexander as as Daniel Webster, speaking of in honor of of Alexander Hamilton. You made clear in the introduction in your in in the introduction to the book that you chose not to include Hamilton's contributions to the Federalist Papers, given that they are readily available elsewhere. Well, there are certain aspects of Hamilton's political writing, political thinking that you wish to bring to light that you feel are little known. And what were your aims in editing the book? And do you feel that you accomplished those aims? I I noticed it was kind of touching that you clearly admire Hamilton because you dedicate the book to him.
0: Yes, right. Uh, uh, My admiration is unbound uh, for Hamilton. The more I studied him, the more I uh, was grateful to uh, what he accomplished in his life, since I'm one of the beneficiaries of it, as all Americans are. True. Uh, so, uh, well, when Carson and I uh, dreamed up the idea of, of uh, editing the collection, <clears throat> we, uh, Carson had already written a book on Hamilton and uh, uh, Jefferson in the first term of the Washington administration. Uh, and and their disagreements. Uh, And uh, that led both of us to think about doing the collection together. Um, And uh, the idea was, I mean, there there are collections of Hamilton's writings out there. uh, And some of them are one volume collections, all the way up to the official papers of Alexander Hamilton that Columbia University Press has done. Of which there are twenty-seven volumes plus five volumes of his law papers.
1: Wow! And he never even yes. reached the age of fifty. That's an amazing amount of yeah.
0: It's, it's astounding productivity. Uh, I, I mean, all of the the leading founders were quite prolific, but I think Hamilton must take the cake. Hmm. Uh, given that, when you when you think about it, you know Franklin. While, uh franklin uh jefferson madison all lived into their mid 80s mm. uh john adams lived to be 90 mm. uh george washington 66 or 67 um uh, i mean they all had decades uh after uh, uh to uh, you know of life after hamilton's had ended uh and and in many cases the leisure to uh, write more than they did when they were active in politics. So uh, what Hamilton did uh, as a, as an author uh, is is quite astounding to me. Um, and what he wanted to do was to, to provide uh, a, two volumes which are manageable for people to be introduced to the political thought of Hamilton. Um, that differed from all the other editions out there. Uh, mm-hmm. Ours is, uh, is um, um, devoted only to Hamilton's political writings. Mm-hmm. Uh, that distinguishes it from, say, the Library of America one-volume collection, which is quite excellent that Joanne Freeman edited. But wow. it has a lot of his personal papers, family life, and so forth that meant that she could didn't have space for a lot of the political papers that we thought remain valuable. And uh, and of course the, seven, the 27 volumes are a little much uh, to try to repeat. And so our task was to go through those volumes and 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 find we had page limits and get it down to two volumes that uh, would re- present to readers, all that we think is of enduring value in the political thought of Alexander Hamilton, of value to uh, people of uh, all times and places, and particularly people interested in the founding of uh, great republics. And um, so with that in mind, we read through all of his volumes, looking for Hamilton's reflections, which are evident on pages uh, on human nature, on the moral and political principles that govern uh, uh, human life um, of, Uh, The dangers that all nations and in particular vulnerable republics like ours was uh, face in the world and how to prudently address those challenges. Uh, And then, of course, the domestic politics, uh, the rise of party politics uh, in the United States, the Jeffersonians and the Hamiltonians uh, or the Federalist Party, as it's better known. And um, the beginning of American factionalism in the 1790s, which most of the founders thought was anathema to a sound, healthy republic. Uh, They feared, as Hamilton put it, that the only thing that republicanism has to fear is anarchy and faction. Mm. Well... That's exactly what became dis- debatable in uh, the 1790s, mm. uh, and 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 was represented in the development of two domestic parties, which had been regarded previously to their creation as dangerous factional elements in any republic. So we wanted to bring all of that to the forefront to see people we were so used to party politics now but that the founders looked at the history of republics and saw the development of domestic factions as the downfall of so many republics um so that's worth uh, i think addressing thinking through wondering if our parties are properly thought of as factions uh, or as something more benign, uh, let's say, interest groups or something mm-hmm. like that.
1: Well, in terms of, of tying it to the modern day, I was surprised that given that he's kind of, he's a, a lodestar of the political right that, um, I was surprised to read that he was so tax friendly and so national debt friendly that seems <laughs> ca- counterintuitive to the image of, of Hamilton that on the, the man of na- national financial probity and, and, and restraint can you discuss that a little bit about because I, as I read I sometimes he sounds like a FDR New Deal Republican or a Keynesian saying oh national debt is wonderful it's actually beneficial and it's, it's spending is, is is really been a, is is a is a marvelous thing I, I was are, were you surprised yeah. by that or, or
0: uh, well not once I studied him more and and got a better grasp on political economy than I had when mm-hmm. I began. and I for people interested in this question of the benefits of i don't know if that's the right word but the the, the legitimacy of of mm. public debt there are two two if i can recommend other people i should be promoting my own books but i'll promote other people's no books
1: please too. do that where well, the new Books network is open <laughs> to books of any kind I-
0: <laughs> okay well one is by uh, uh john uh steel gordon and it's called hamilton's blessing and mm. um, which is a history of America's natural debt, but the first chapter or two lays out Hamilton's understanding of the problem and why he thought a national debt was a good thing to have. So I recommend Gordon. He's a very good uh, economic historian. uh, That's a good place to go. And the other is a wonderful volume that came out around the same time as Carson's and my volumes came out. Uh, titled Alexander Hamilton on Finance, Credit and Debt by Richard Silla and David Cohen, two eminent uh, economists uh, at NYU Stern School of Business where they have, uh, they interweave their own commentary with selections from Hamilton's economic writings. And uh, it just, uh, it was so helpful to me to get, somebody who's really untutored in economics Mm. Uh, to learn from you know contemporary economists how uh, it, and put in the terms of contemporary economics at times what Hamilton was doing and thinking, so those are good books. Um, but as far as uh, Hamilton's uh, view, I I actually um, looked up before we got on together. Um, that quotation that you ended up uh, using in your introductory remarks, uh, w- where Hamilton said, you know, a national, what was it? A national debt, as long as it's not excessive, uh, is, it renders it a national blessing. Mm.
1: Yes, it's and, a uh, national debt, if it's not accessible, lead be to, lead this, will be to us a national blessing. It will be a powerful cement of our union.
0: Yeah, powerful cement of our union. Um, now, that has to be put in context. Uh, oh, if, I'm
1: sorry. Did I take it wildly out of context, then? Well,
0: <laughs> um, no, you, 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 not wildly. But um, we, we, have to, we have to think about the, the precarious position the United States was in at right. its beginnings. Uh, it's not like Hamilton invented a national debt. Uh, <laughs> The, there's, of course, Great Britain had a huge national debt um, and had managed to fund it and was able to borrow money, uh, driving up that debt in order to fight its wars with France and everybody else. So there's a history that Hamilton was familiar with, and then, of course, our own country had gone deeply into debt during the Revolutionary War. Uh, and during the Confederacy before our Constitution uh, was ratified.
2: Hmm.
0: And some states, you know, some states had a, a larger national debt than others, depending on how much they borrowed to put into the war effort. But um but the and then there was Congress's borrowings um that uh from France and Spain to help fund the Revolutionary War. So by the time Hamilton is secretary of the treasury in 1790, we have a, mass, we have a big problem. We have a massive debt, hmm. both state debt and national debt. And um, it hasn't been properly funded so that we're in arrears on paying the creditors interest on the debt, which could mm. be foreign countries or foreign investors or domestic investors. Mm. And so the currency was completely devalued. Um, it wasn't tied to specie, to gold or silver coins. Uh, the currency was inflated and the value declined and we were in a pickle. Mm. That Hamilton inherited and was charged with fixing. Uh, And it's in, and I I think his actual statement about the national blessing goes way back to 1779, 1780, in a letter he wrote to Robert Morris, who was the financier of the revolution, Mm -hmm. in which Hamilton just was reporting to. Morris on Hamilton's studies in political economy that he was doing while being aide-de-camp to Washington uh, because he was frustrated with with the way Congress was funding the war. And he decided to become an expert on this subject and he managed to do so. Um,
1: yeah you yeah. make very clear in the letter in the letter how very frustrated he was as a soldier. He felt that they were not getting the material they needed, and it was all just bungling, and he was very bitter about it i was that was fascinating yeah angry, really angry
0: yes, right and so what he says about this national debt, I just want to provide a few more uh passages from Hamilton on it. He says. He believed that the proper funding of the national debt would render the debt a national blessing. So funding the debt is crucial. If you're gonna have a debt, you have to fund it. You can't blow it off the way the, uh, the Confederate Congress had done, uh, Revolutionary Congress, Continental Congress. Um, he was not of the view that public debts are public benefits. Because public debts um, invite what he called prodigality mm-hmm. and were liable to dangerous abuse. Maybe that's how we would look at our current national debt <laughs> and the way stimulus funds were uh, provided uh, to uh, everyone and everything. <laughs> that, that's prodigality and dangerous <laughs> abuse. So he said, finally, he established it, it is established, he said, as a fundamental maxim in the system of public credit of the United States, that the creation of debt should always be accompanied with the means of extinguishment. Such a policy would render public credit immortal.
1: Ah, so, so I worry much was taking him out of context then. Yeah, I, well, I just think, you know, you can't,
0: understand him on public debt without understanding that he never spoke of public, uh, the public, and he objected to public debt if there was no plan for paying it off. Mm. Um, so all of his plans for borrowing money, setting up the national bank and all of that were accompanied by his plan for a, what he called a sinking fund paid for by post office receipts, these would be funds that are taken in um, as governmental revenues and segregated from all other uh, funds for the sole purpose of paying off the interest on the public debt. Hmm. Uh, Whether the principal gets paid off or not, Hamilton didn't seem to much think that was the issue. Um, As long as you're paying the interest on the debt, creditors will be willing to lend you money when you need it. Mm. Um, It's establishing public credit that the uh, incurring of public debt does. Mm. By having the public debt, you then, if you pay off the creditors who loaned you the money, then you've established public credit and, and therefore those, those investors, those con- foreign countries and, and individuals will be willing to loan you money when you need it because you're, you're a good bet. They know that you will honor your agreements. Uh, so that's what that's about. Uh, and why is the debt necessary at all? Because, well, in a single word, well, two words, potential wars. Oh, yes. Um, Wars are expensive Mm. and uh, war was of the geopolitical reality uh, of the late 18th century and everyone uh, understood that a country could not fight a war if it did not have public credit, meaning the ability to borrow from investors to fund the war machine. And uh, so that's what the debt was primarily about, not domestic improvements, but, uh, uh, you know, paying off what we accrued during the Revolutionary War, those debts, and then being prepared to borrow again in whenever we were in uh, tough, uh, tired straits with uh, other countries.
1: Well, oh, so I was. I would say that when he said a, a powerful cement of our union, he meant that we will establish ourselves as reliable gentlemen in the eyes of the world, and it will, will pull together in a sense of national nationhood to show that we are good for it. We're a solvent, responsible, prudent people, and that in that in that way, it's a blessing. Is that
0: that's, is that more that's or less- exactly it? Hope. Um, I mean, words like national reputation, national dignity. Hamilton uses these words a lot. He doesn't just good in it, in and of themselves. Mm. They're useful. Yeah, having a reputation as uh, independent uh, as as a reliable partner is is going uh, and is going to uh, help protect your independence and the peace. Mm. These two things are crucial. If other nations see you as unreliable, as weak, as uh, unable to keep your promises in uh, uh, international affairs and so forth, they will see you as possible prey. Mm. Uh, and 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 uh, that was a constant concern that there would be an invasion uh, from. Spain, from France, even uh, if you're the Jeffersonian from Great Britain, mm-hmm. and so forth, that was a constant worry.
1: Yeah, and in that respect, I'd like to to mention. I I probably won't read read from the letter because my 18th century prose reading is not particularly stellar. <laughs> but yeah. you ha- you quote this fascinating letter that he wrote in 1769 when he was a boy of 14. Although you make the point in your introduction, I believe that his age is a little bit unclear because his the date of his birth that's why in the introduction i said 17
2: you know i just,
0: i am with you i I'm, I'm 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 a partisan of the later date of birth be, just because it was hamilton's own understanding <laughs> uh, of, of his birth date and it was it's the understanding of all of the hamiltonian family and descendants who commented on it and it's so it's on his gravestone at trinity church in wall street oh, and wall street <laughs> uh, so you know Uh, uh, It's also the the date of birth that uh, the great Chancellor Kent friend uh, and protege of Hamilton, uh, whose reflections on Hamilton's life we include in the appendix, uh, it's also uh, his understanding. So, you know, it's not crystal clear, but I would guess the letter you're talking about it's written with a 12 year old hand. Oh, interesting. Guy.
1: So I called him 14 and you're putting him at 12. What's I even mean, more remarkable? Him at
0: 12, yeah. Wow. Just because by the time he's 15, he's winning awards for his incredible um, eloquence and uh, literary talents. Mm. So it, I, there's no way he developed that in one year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's interesting. You talk about his awareness of war even very early in his life, and I mentioned the letter because not only does it show him as extremely ambitious, although he plays it down, he says, well, I, I want preferment, but I'm not actually going to, I don't deserve it at this point, even though it's a little disingenuous, but he talks about, he ends it, concludes saying, I wish there was a war, because apparently he realized, and it's pre- amazingly prescient how he he sensed that, he would, that a war would benefit him in terms of his own Preferment, and and that he that not not in a selfish way, but he felt that he that is that he was skillful and and able, and 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 as as early as that, he realized that things were leading towards war, and that he, could you could you talk about his his boyhood and his awareness of the the international geopolitical situation at such a young age?
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, that's an amazing letter, I think, and I think it's it really gives us a window into Hamilton's soul. Mm. Um, He's so young. He, by that time, is an orphan.
2: Mm.
0: Uh, His mother died when he was 11. His father had abandoned them uh, a few years earlier when he was eight, I believe. Um, And there he is on the Isle of St. Croix, which is now part of, um uh, the U.S Virgin Islands, but at hmm. the time was a Danish protectorate. Uh, he was born um, in a British uh, protectorate, uh, Nevins, not that far away. Um, but then his his uh, mother and father moved him and his brother to St. Croix when when he was eight. And um, I, I'm sure there were good reasons for them wanting to get away from Nevin's. Uh, she'd had a, a bad history there, mm. and um, a, a, a bad marriage when she was 16. A divorce. Imprisoned. She was imprisoned for. Adulthood. Oh,
1: I didn't. I didn't realize that.
0: Yeah. Yes. Her 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 ex husband was a, a nasty piece of work, Le- mm. Levine or Levin, um, who. Um, apparently was quite cruel, and but did get her uh, imprisoned
1: for adultery. Uh, you could be imprisoned for adultery, for adultery. after uh, okay.
0: she had left him. Hmm. And uh, so when she got out of prison, I think she uh, she she had met James uh, Hamilton, and they they you know ensconced to to, uh, to Saint Croix to start a new life. And, but everything went bad. Uh, uh, her husband left her. Uh, well, it's not clear that they ever married, frankly. They probably mm. did not. Um, or at best, a common law marriage. Um, because divorced women under Danish law were not permitted to remarry. Mm. So, uh, this story, by the way, is told very well by um, uh, Andrew Wancher in his book with Princeton University Press of this past yes. year uh, on the, something like the Jewish-
1: Yes, I saw that. I noticed that book. Jewish
0: Life of Alexander Hamilton or something like that, mm. where it's a fascinating piece of detective work that Andrew has done uh, on the uh, the Jewish dimensions of Hamilton's early life. Um, Levain, I'd just be very brief about it, Levine, the first husband of, uh, of Hamilton's mother, appears to have been a Jewish merchant on the island of Nevins, where there was a large Jewish commercial community.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, in order for a 16-year-old uh, Huguenot, French Huguenot, which she was, a Protestant, to marry a Jew, she would have had to convert under the uh, rules of the of the island and so she must have converted to Judaism this is all Andrews sleuthing uh, and um, um it, it looks that she enrolled Hamilton in a Jewish school hmm. a Jewish day school when he was young because the only... Thing, this is quite interesting, I think, when you think how we all blab about our pasts to our, anyone mm-hmm. who will listen. Uh, Hamilton's family says he only once said anything about his childhood. Hmm. And what he said was he recalled with some humor standing on a table in the Jewish day school being asked by the teacher and then performing the Ten Commandments in Hebrew.
2: Huh.
0: Yeah. So, you know, it's just very interesting um, insight into Hamilton and and what it all, you know, he then wins this trip to the United States, uh, the new new nation, by writing a letter when he's 15 about this hurricane that uh, happened uh, in St. Croix. And he writes it from a Christian perspective. Hmm. So by then, he, he seemed to have been tutored by a, a clergyman who had taken him under his wing and was now thinking in Christian terms about him, his life uh, and everyone's life in general. So that was quite interesting to me. Um, but the thing about the letter to Ned Stevens, his young friend, is that First of all, it tells us something about the times, right? That to to advance yourself from nowhere, which mm-hmm. is where he was, required be, uh, some kind of heroism, and yes, probably much. in war. Um, that's how people advanced themselves, and he understood that from probably from reading stories of other people having achieved that. And uh, so he says, I would never, you know, sully my character mm-hmm. in, in, uh, to satisfy this ambition of mine to no longer be a groveling clerk, mm-hmm. but I'm gonna do everything else I can to further my ambition. And that's when he says, I wish there was a war. And, and what's so interesting is that he gets his war. Uh, he just happens to be sent by his benefactors to um, to, to Boston and New York and gets well-connected. And the next thing you know, he's um, George Commander Washington's right-hand man. <laughs> it's an incredible story.
1: Well, it's, it's fascinating, too, because he was so correct about... Um, uh, and you quote several letters of his in which he 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 foresees what will happen i just quote he says in 1774 which is well before two years before the revolution broke out he said the disciplined troops great britain could send against us would be but few our superiority number would overbalance our inferiority and discipline it would be hard if not an impractical task to subjugate us by force and that's pretty much how it played out
0: yeah that's <laughs> Yeah, I mean again it's a, it's re- it, he, it's remarkable that he basically mastered um the strat tacti- strategy and tactics of military life. Mm. Uh, and w- without much experience of it. I mean he just he just by reading manuals um often manuals from other countries on how to organize the uh, military.
1: Yeah, he reminded me of Oliver Cromwell in that respect who was an incredible military leader who had no had no experience whatsoever before he became a leader of yeah. a, a California. Ah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um it's a good parallel. I I I think that in trying to get to the bottom of Hamilton's restless ambition it's probably relevant to think about his origins
2: mm. to think
0: about I mean Hamilton was about as marginal a character as a person could be mm. in his time of life, and um, you know, being orphaned, uh, being on a you know out of the way island in the West Indies, um, I mean, life was pretty bleak. I would think it would look pretty bleak from where he sat. Uh, But instead, you know, he turned it towards liberating himself from that life. And he had this, uh, uh, you know, one of his biographers refers to his tireless activity of mind. Mm. I think that's true of him. I don't think there was a moment except when he was sleeping, when he wasn't thinking uh, and thinking about usually practical matters, political matters. Uh, he's not like Jefferson, the philosopher who probably is happiest when he's reading, you know, Epicurus or 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 uh, 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 <laughs> John Locke or something. Uh, Hamilton read all of that, but with a purpose in mind, beyond philosophizing. It was always to put it to use in building this great republic that he had devoted his life to. His ambition is connected to it. His his dreams of being remembered as as someone who did great things is true. Um, so his patriotism was very, very strong. Mm. Um he appreciated what other countries had achieved, uh, particularly Britain, but uh, his, his heart was with, uh, with the United States, as, as was his uh, entire life's ambition. He never, Hamilton never visited another country. Uh, I did after. not
1: know that, that's fascinating.
0: Yeah. No, he never left. Um, uh, George Washington went to Barbados when he was 15, and caught the yellow fever, I think it was. It's had a bad experience, and he never left the country after that. But uh, but Hamilton's one of the few founders who never went to Britain or France as a diplomat. Um, he was considered for those roles, particularly with respect to the Jay Treaty, uh, when we were ne- needed to negotiate a treaty with Great Britain to settle on the the still gnawing controversies that had come out of the Revolutionary War. We're talking the 1790s now. And uh, it ends up being the Jay Treaty because John Jay neg- is sent to England to negotiate it. But uh, Hamilton was considered by Washington. But Hamilton says to Washington, I'm the, I'm the last person you'd want to send. He said, I'm just too controversial a character now. Hmm. Uh, um, because of the uh, controversies over his economic plans that he said I would just be a distraction and send John Jay which is what uh, Washington did and so Hamilton never left.
1: That's fascinating I just read I heard uh, a comparison of Elizabeth II and Elizabeth I and uh, Elizabeth II was Kind of contemptuous in a way of Elizabeth the First. She said, "Well, she never left England, as if that was a a a, a, hmm. a, 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 disattrib- a, a di- undesirable quality of not having traveled." And I thought, "Well, if Alexander Hamilton didn't travel, that's okay." But yeah,
0: no, of- I mean i I don't think it was I don't think it was considered a you know a deficit
2: hmm.
0: not to have traveled, particularly because <clears throat> Europe was. You know, either monarchies or revolutionary, in revolutionary situations like France, mm. and I, I think everybody on the American side understood that things were better on the this side of the pond mm. than on the others, which were in constant warfare. Mm. So I don't think you know. I just don't. Uh, Jefferson was attracted to France. Hamilton, Adams. Washington, but more more Adams and Hamilton were more appreciative of Great Britain. Uh, but, um, and this is part of what led to the rise of the two parties, um, the controversy over Washington's Neutrality Proclamation in, what was it, 1994, I think, uh, declaring neutrality, our neutrality in the war between Great Britain and France where the Jeffersonians and Thomas Jefferson himself wanted us to ally more closely with France in that war. Uh, And and Hamilton persuaded Washington that that was a bad idea, that we needed to remain neutral. We're too new and weak a country to be fighting other people's wars for them.
1: Well, also he was, there's a wonderful letter that you quote in the book that he wrote that he is just Appalled and, and disgusted by the uh, atheism of the of the revolutionary regime in France and it I didn't I never think of him as a particular proponent of religious liberty. Uh, Hamilton doesn't 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 leap out to me in that in that yeah. uh, framework, but it but it's a very moving letter he talks about uh, the, the assault on religious re- religion and he's it's, it's it's surprising to me that that he does that. But,
0: yeah, I mean that's. Uh... That's really important to understand what was happening in the, the late 1790s in this country um, because the French Revolution had turned into the terror. Mm. Uh, and uh, Jefferson was very late in coming around to the opinion that the terror was a bad thing. Mm. <laughs> he, for, he, he, he basically defended it. Uh, when it was happening uh, as a, basically a kind of you know you, you have to break break a few eggs to, what is it to make an omelet
1: well then the tree of liberty must be
0: yeah watered, watered with, a, with a lot, the lot t- of tyrants <laughs> but of course it wasn't just tyrants who were being uh, killed in fact there there weren't any tyrants George uh, uh, king King Louis XVI wasn't a tyrant. He, he might not have been the greatest king ever, but he was far from a tyrant. Yeah. And he's the one who supported our Revolutionary War. So, yeah. you know, uh, Hamilton was, was appalled by the beheading of uh, the 16th. He, I mean, innocent people were being slaughtered in the streets and being guillotined. And Jefferson was like, hey, you know, Uh, This is his secretary, William Short, who was in Paris during the time, writing to Jefferson, who had left and was now in the back home. And Short is writing Jefferson saying, it's really bad here. I mean, innocent people are being slaughtered in the streets. Uh, It's totally out of control. It's nothing but anarchy leading to tyranny. And Jefferson writes back and says, oh, don't lecture me about how horrible it is. (laughs) not, I mean, my friends are among those who are being slaughtered in the streets. And I'm sorry about that, but things will calm down. And I mean, it's it's better. He says that uh, all the countries of Europe be reduced to a single Adam and an Eve than that we permit things to go on as they are with the monarchies. You know um and just a kind of there's a kind of bloody mindedness about jefferson that i don't know how seriously to take it but rhetorically he can be quite reckless when talking about the uh expenditure of human life
1: i wonder if hamilton had a a certain amount of contempt for that because hamilton had seen bloodshed up close and and jefferson famously was nowhere near any battlefield at all
2: (laughs) during the war i wonder if there was a
1: certain (laughs) certain fury and and, on and contempt from Hamilton for Jefferson in that respect. I, I,
0: no question. I mean, and why was Hamilton such an uh, 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 um, um, enthusiastic opponent of slavery? Uh, I, I think that has something to do not only with his own origins. And I think he could easily say, gee, there, but uh, but for the grace of God go I. But I, I think. Um, Growing up in Nevis, I mean, I'm sorry, in uh, St. Croix, this was a commercial hub in the in the West Indies where the slave trade trafficked through it. Mm. And I mean, and, and he worked for a trading house. So I imagine that he witnessed the horrific treatment of African slaves coming through uh, St. Croix.
1: Well, if he was steeped in the Old Testament, too, certainly the, the, the legacy of slavery of the Jewish people would have played into his mind, I would think. And
0: yes, maybe. exactly. Uh, so, he, you know, he had no, no uh, sympathy for slaveholders or slave slaveholding. Um, uh, he wasn't a militant abolitionist like, say, Garrison was. Uh, these are different times in, American, in the unfolding of the American experience um where hamilton understood that the mo- most important thing was to get the union consolidated and up and running and peaceful and armed and uh sovereign and independent these are the priorities right now
1: i wonder if if, if hamilton has a certain amount of contempt because he seems to accept with i think one maybe I think he did have an affair but otherwise he seems to have been a man of rather abstemious tastes and Jefferson was famously very profligate with his money spending money on wine and violins and so he forth and have... I wonder if he ref- and in one of the letters that you quote Hamilton refers to Aaron Burr and, and with his voluptuary tastes and he seems to yes. have really disliked people that were he felt it had an odor of corruption if people seemed to have uh, and yeah. he worried about that. I, I think that's right. I, I, there's nothing
0: about Hamilton that, that. I mean, there's yeah. I mean, there's the the affair with uh, Mariah uh, Reynolds. That was her name. That happens in 1791, but he doesn't uh, acknowledge it until many years later. Um, but you know, that that was at the time when he was preparing his major state papers on political economy. Uh, I think in 91, he was probably working on either the bank controversy or perhaps the report on the subject of manufacturers. These are massive, world-class state reports. And uh, I think the crush. I, you know, I, I, I think, I, I think he became a bit unbalanced in that period because of the pressure of writing mm-hmm. reports for Congress that had put due dates on them. I mean, he didn't take he didn't take office until the early 1790, and they wanted these massive reports done in two years' time each one and well you know just looking at our books how lengthy they could be
1: yeah they were yeah they were it, it's not light reading at times they were quite yeah. quick and they're 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 for they're they're well reasoned but sometimes they're not i mean sometimes it's just sheer personal characteristic. i mean his his letters condemning uh, John Adams were very surprising yeah. to me. It, goes, it just goes on and on and yeah, on. Yeah,
0: yeah. He was warned not to do that by his federalist friends and he wouldn't listen to them. Uh, he thought he was serving the public interest, uh, <laughs> but that's because he thought that, I mean, that's, so, that's such a strange moment in his life when he attacks publicly in a, in a big pamphlet, the character of John Adams, who's president at the time. Mm. Uh, what is this 1799 or uh, 1800 leading up to the 1800 election and Hamilton is ambivalent about Adams remaining president for a second term he doesn't think he's really qualified
1: yeah makes that clear enough
0: (laughs) and uh, (laughs) and he wasn't the only one uh uh probably the majority of federalist leaders thought Adams wasn't qualified for a second term Mm. um He was too irascible. He was too vain. The stuff that Hamilton, you know, rags about in his pamphlet, it's all true.
2: Yeah, that's true.
0: That why are you doing this to the one person who can beat Thomas Jefferson in 1800? Uh, And it, it did I mean, Jefferson was just, and, and Madison were just, you know, delighted when that pamphlet came out. Well, there's uh, also
1: this moving, well, m- moving in that they had worked closely together, but the attack on Madison is very startling to me that I thought, wow, mm-hmm. these were close, I'm mean, not close friends, but were, were they friends? Or would you say they were- yes, I,
0: yes, they were. They would have had to have been because they had done so much together, including writing the Federalist Papers together. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they had been in all the important political meetings leading up to the Constitutional Convention, and then they were there together. Uh, and, um, you know, Milton says, I would have never accepted the position of Secretary of Treasury if I knew Madison wasn't going to be with me on my proposals. That really tells you something. He mm. He expected that Madison, he thought Madison and he saw eye to eye on political economy. And uh, he was stunned when Madison moved into the uh, influence of Jefferson on these subjects and uh, opposed some of Hamilton's proposals as uh, a leader in the House of Representatives.
1: yeah, he took he took loyalty very seriously, and that he really seems to have been shocked, as you say.
0: Yeah, it, 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 Jefferson, he's more it, with Madison. He's genuinely perplexed.
2: Mm.
0: He feels like I thought I knew this man, mm. and it turns out I didn't know him at all. Uh, he says he's a. I thought he was a, a simple, straightforward, honest character. Now I think he's of a, a complex character of a dubious kind. Things yeah. like that, you know, where he clearly thinks I I was somehow, you know, misled. Yeah. Um, he
1: says and, that about Adams too, although he didn't, they're not close friends, but he says, I misjudged him. He basically yeah. says, and here I thought he was a man of, of intelligence and balance and he's just this, this <laughs> erratic little twerp. And
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. With Jefferson, it was different because he never was close to Jefferson. They just hadn't they had much to do with one another. Jefferson was in France uh, during the war. Uh, Jefferson was in France during the Constitutional Convention. So all the big moments leading up to the administration of George Washington, uh, Hamilton had no personal experience with Jefferson. And then they're thrown into the cabinet together uh, with Jefferson as secretary of state. And, uh, you know, Hamilton, you might remember the letter where he says, that Jefferson had drunk deeply of the French philosophy when well, that's was
1: true.
0: Birth, <laughs> you know? So that's that's Hamilton saying Jefferson was uh, he was a, he was a, a, a proponent of the French Revolution mm. and, and uh, is partly responsible for the Terror mm. and
1: uh, a fellow traveler, yeah, French
0: a... philosophy being atheist, of course.
1: Mm.
0: So. Um so he regarded Jefferson as an atheist who had thrown in with what he calls the Jacobins, mm. which are the radical French revolutionaries who had representation in the United States among the Jeffersonian Republicans. And he just saw them all as a threat, the, the, the specter of anarchy uh, and factionalism. He, that's what he saw in them and the attack on the Christian religion in particular as their effort to uh, do away with the moral restraints on political and individual behavior uh, that was leading to the kind of uh, slaughtering that was going on in France.
1: Well, speaking of Hamilton's Christianity at the at the end, I hope we have time. I'd like to read his letter to this letter to his wife when he's no. believing he's, he's it, just on the eve of his duel with with um burr but because he refers to ho- hoping that her christianity will come for her but um no. his 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 christianity is was very tragic at the end wasn't it because dueling was considered a sin within the anglican church and he and was he denied Death. denied a deathbed comfort at the end is that true or
0: well they relented the 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 Minister relented. He came back a uh, second time, and Hamilton he, he asked Hamilton to uh, repent his duel. and uh, Hamilton was said he he did repent it, that he forgave Burr that uh he had no hard feelings towards burr and that sort of thing and then they gave him communion which i don't think was a regular thing for hamilton uh i think that was kind of a deathbed uh uh communion
1: oh okay
0: um i'm not sure about that but i i haven't you know it wasn't easy to get to church back in those days if you lived kind of remotely and um by that time he was living in what's now Harlem, uh, but on a, like in a farm, he was gardening and stuff. And I don't know what I have read in say Ron Chernow's magisterial biography of Hamilton is that Hamilton would do a kind of Sunday service with his family by reading from the the Anglican Book of Prayer
2: Mm -hmm. uh,
0: at home. Uh, but whether they went to church much, I'm just not sure where they could get communion. Hmm. Uh, George Washington never took communion.
1: I did he... not know that. That's fascinating. Yeah,
0: yeah, um, yeah. These are kind of mysteries, you know, that's hard to see into people's hearts. Huh. And...
1: I wonder with him, with Washington, is that there's a certain humility in taking communion, and he was a very prestige-conscious man, and maybe he just was self-conscious about humbling himself in such a public way or it could be it could be um yeah
0: i i don't really know i mean i think he thought of himself as um a christian in good standing
2: mm. uh,
0: he was a praying man from all accounts um mm. uh, his letters as you'll see when Carson's in my next two volumes. Oh,
1: sessions. I'm so glad you mentioned that, because, in fact, I'll skip ahead. The traditional final question on the New Books Network, and I'll just well, insert it here early, is yeah. what are you working on now? So that would be, what are, what are you working on now?
0: Well, we uh, Carson Holloway and I just submitted our, you know, uh, uh, equal length uh, manuscript to Cambridge for a two volume edition of the political writings of George Washington.
1: Oh, you say equal length to this book.
0: Yes, yeah. So you know it'll be a thousand pages probably. I
1: know I was I was I I, I was I was my confidence was shaken because I saw these rather sizable <laughs> volumes yeah. I thought, oh, I'm really going to have to buckle down here so I but yeah. they they read, they read well and, they're, and oh, they're, good. they're they're nice they're nice chunks. I mean, if you're there's a long vituperative essay that of of, of endless (laughs) anger and fury and okay there's a short that's one thing I wanted to say is about one thing that I was surprised by and I wonder if you were that Hamilton is actually very funny at times that he that he talks he that he lampoon he uses ridicule and lampoons and and says things like I I mean just paraphrasing about well that's all very interesting if (laughs) it had a an ounce of truth in it but it's a complete complete fabrication
0: I think he displayed that uh, that kind of uh, uh, you know musing boyishness in his writing when he was very young. You know, the <laughs> revolutionary pamphlets uh, are full of that stuff when he's writing as the you know, the farmer refuted.
1: Oh, and, the poor far, the far farmer! I felt so sorry. Yeah,
0: for then Samuel Seagrave, who was a pastor, apparently a loyalist. And uh, Hamilton really went after him tooth and nail. Uh, but later on he, uh, you know, I think he started to lose his sense of humor. The more he was uh, the more he was punished by political life. Um, it, it, I, I don't think he found much to laugh about towards the end. Well uh, I was
1: gonna say there's an interesting letter that I wondered what your reaction to it was. He's basically, He's, he's he's It's very vainglorious and self pitying because he says no one has given more to the to the Constitution than I, and he calls it something like this worthless fabric. Or at that point, yeah. he's, he's very disillusioned and very. It's almost as like he's 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 so disillusioned. He's oh, if I die in a duel, maybe it's time that yeah. I don't. I don't. He says I don't fit in or something. I mean, he's a wording. Yeah, like he that. says this
0: American something. This American life, it, a place is not made for me or something like that. Uh, And, yeah, I mean, I actually found that to be uh, a very sad thing when I read it. I I just thought, wow, you know, the defeatism in Hamilton by that time. Uh, And you're right, the self-pitying. But he had been brutalized by uh, his time in office and the opposition that it inspired He's kind of like the Donald Trump of his time. <laughs>
1: you know? Oh, here I here I found I found it, Brad. It says, Mine is an odd destiny. Perhaps no man in the US states has sacrificed or done more for the present constitution than myself. And contrary to all my anticipations of its fate, as you know, from the very beginning, I am still laboring to pr- prop the frail and worthless fabric. Yet I have the murmurs of its friends no less and the curses of its foes for my rewards what can I do better than withdraw from the scene? Every day proves to me more and more that this American world was not made for me. And that's just so moving and sad. Oh
0: my, uh, yes. Well, look, by that point, what to, what uh, was the date on that? Uh, that
1: is, oh gosh, I'm afraid I might- You I, don't have
0: the date, it's it's after, I mean, it's it's must be after Jefferson's election in 1800. Uh, it's a letter to. I remember it's a letter to Governor Morris. Okay, um, I've got
1: it. It's it's a, um, Yeah, it's, it's Governor Morris, eighteen o two.
0: Eighteen o two. Well, look, eighteen o two. This is this is um, a very uh, tormented period in Hamilton's life. That's a
1: very good word, tormented. He's his a tormented soul uh, it seems.
0: His his oldest son Philip had been killed in a duel in I think in 1801.
1: I did not know that.
0: Yeah, and he was the most like Alexander. He was considered mm. a sir statesman to Hamilton. He'd gone to Columbia, like Hamilton had. Mm. He graduated, um, and just seemed to have a lot of the same gifts that Hamilton himself had, and he was the first of Hamilton. Since seven children, uh, and um, no
1: wonder he was busy with seven children. I didn't realize that either.
0: Yeah, he had seven children, uh, uh, and 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 a, and a miscarriage along the way when Hamilton was out, uh, ready to fight the uh, the whiskey rebellion uh, uprising. Uh, he should have been home with his wife, who was having trouble with her. Her pregnancy, but he decided since it was his idea to tax whiskey, he had to go defend the policy in a war.
1: I so, think that's fascinating, too. You really get an idea in the book of the martial character that he was. That, that's one thing I want to ask you about another episode in his life was his 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 role in um, ca- calming the army when just after the revolution when the when congress was not coming forth with with pay and there was almost an insurrection among the troops and he he and washington worked very closely together could you talk about it was a real tinderbox
0: yeah um, well people read that ep- that episode differently some look at it as hamilton Um, playing dangerously with the idea of a military insurrection against Congress Mm. um, as a way of waking Congress up, uh, with Washington calming Hamilton down, Mm. uh, saying that's nothing we should fool around with. But I don't read it the same way. If I read the letters, and I don't see Hamilton as siding with the idea.
1: no, um, I don't think I think of across in the book that he was he was worried about it and he was trying to to tamp it down and, and
0: yeah, exactly. Uh, this was I guess the period of the Newberry conspiracy um where the,
1: the Newberg? Newburg Newburg I mean,
0: sorry Newburg conspiracy um where Washington had to. Go before the troop, the officers who were planning some kind of you know protest uh, against Congress's failure to pay them, and Washington then went before them. That's one that the scene is described by uh, witnesses as Washington. At one point, taking out his glasses when he's yeah, playing. I'm this
1: old, frail, decrepit man in yeah. the service of my country, and you're yeah, I've difficult. gone blind in yeah. the
0: service of my country. You know, uh, uh, I've gone old and blind in the service of my country, um, and and putting down any thought of you know of any kind of rebellion. Uh, yeah, I think Hamilton and Washington, Saul were on the same page with that. Uh, I mean, Washington was first of all totally devoted to civilian control of the military Mm. um, which is a marvelous thing and we don't realize how rare that is in human affairs no Uh, but it's uh, our tradition and it goes back to washington um where we wouldn't think of the military uh trying to dictate uh, domestic or foreign policy to our elected representatives so um, that's to his credit. But they, I will mention that one of Hamilton's, uh, I, I think it's uh, Henry Cabot Lodge, a 19th century biographer of Hamilton. And um, Senator. And Senator, a statesman himself, uh, and a good historian. I, I think he wrote, uh, in a way, the, the best biography of Hamilton. Um, in the 1880s. I
1: didn't realize he'd done that. I know Lodge and Roosevelt were both historians. Gifted yeah, it's, friends and...
0: It it's still available uh, and um, it, it now it's very pro Hamilton. So he, you know, Hamilton can, can really do no wrong in Lodge's view. <laughs> uh, but he does have great insight into Hamilton's nationalism and how Hamilton uh uh, how he saw further and into the future than anyone of his time as to what America could become and would become if they would only follow out his policies, so I like that biography, but I think it's in that biography where Lodge says of Hamilton that he was never happier than when he was in the camp by which he means the military. Mm. Uh, That that's the sense he got in studying Hamilton's life, that those, those were the glory days for Hamilton work, you know, with Washington, the so called family, the officers that surrounded Washington and Valley Forge and other places, Hamilton did it for uh, four years.
2: Um,
1: yeah, it's very moving in the book because some of the letters in which he's so disillusioned are to friends that were ultimately killed in that war. So he 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 lost oh friends, God. and I, I wonder if that if the yeah. loss of those friends contributed to his his later mis- mis- misanthropic misanthropic behavior.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do think the death of his son Philip, he never really recovered from that. Um, he particularly because Phil, because Philip died in a duel. And uh, with the gun that Hamilton later used to die in his duel, oh. and Philip died. Why was Philip dueling? He was defending Hamilton's honor yeah. against someone who had uh, insulted Philip's father.
2: Oh, oh, that's and, touching. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I, Hamilton, kind of dropped out of sight for a year and a half, uh, in 1801 and 1802. Uh, the, there's a period where you know his letter writing stops, and then when it starts up again, he's basically answering letters from other statesmen commiserating with him about Philip's death. Mm. Um, but what's interesting is there are 17 essays called The Examination that appeared pseudonymously under the name Lucius Crassus that you'd mentioned. Um in 1801 and 1802, criticizing the Jefferson administration's policies in its first term, and it, it's uh, uh, it's 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 accepted among the scholarship uh, that Hamilton draft that Hamilton wrote those 17 criticisms mm. during this period of depression and alienation uh, from politics. Uh, and they're not up to Hamilton's, you know, they're not peak Hamilton writings.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: They do have flashes of his old brilliance though. Um, and, well,
1: I, well, I wonder if if, the, if lo- losing Washington was uh, unmoored him a bit, because there's a letter that you quote that Washington apparently had chastised Hamilton for being so, vitu- so bit- vituperative in his public attacks and, and Hamilton writes back this this defense, saying that um, I am I am my honor has been impugned. And this is intolerable, and I just cannot countenance this. And he's basically telling Washington, "I'm sorry, but I just I can't I can't abide this, and this cannot this cannot stand." And it's it's interesting that Washington even then he was defying Washington, which is unusual for him.
0: Yeah, well, that was a tense uh, time because what Washington was referring to was Hamilton's. Uh, let's say uh, ramb- rambunctious re- responses to Jefferson's attacks on Hamilton, mm-hmm. while they both were in the administration, Jefferson's opposition to Hamilton's uh, economic plans, and uh, and the, the Jefferson had written to Washington accusing Hamilton of being a monarchist and uh, you know plotting the overthrow of the republic, and really you know, wild what looks wild now to us. Um and it looked wild to Hamilton back then. Yeah. And so he had written these ferocious replies. Uh uh yeah, attacking, when,
2: when, attacking
0: when people, Jefferson. Yeah.
1: I was gonna say when people talk about oh our, our polarized politics and the, the tone is is just so and so I thought well, so it was so gentlemanly and sweet and, and passive pa- pacific. <laughs> In eighteen hundred, I
2: just said, "Well,
0: you know." Yeah, no, that right. I just, I, 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 I am saying that all the time, trying mm. to get people to understand that American history is filled with this kind of political turmoil, and, mm. um, and uh, we shouldn't think that the republic is falling. <laughs> no, so, um, but in any case, I. I was in, you. You might remember this passage in Hamilton, where he's um, persuading a Federalist leader to vote for Jefferson rather than Burr in 1800,
2: mm.
0: when the election had been thrown into the House of Representatives, uh, and. Um, burr and jefferson had tied in the electoral vote because of the way the electoral college worked then i mean everybody understood that the country wanted jefferson as president burr as vice president but because the way the electoral college worked whoever got the top two votes one would be president the other would be vice president but what if they tied which they did Mm -hmm. and then the house of representatives voted uh, I don't know, something like 30 some times and they kept tying. They couldn't break the tie. And so finally, Hamilton intervened with the Federalists in the uh, House of Representatives and asked them to change their vote, either to, either to not vote at all, re- re- take back their vote for Burr, or flip their vote from Burr to Jefferson. And in arguing for that, it's so interesting. He says um he, he says there's not um there there's no one I should hate more than Thomas Jefferson. Mm. And I've always gotten on well with Aaron Burr.
2: Mm.
0: He says but um the public good must take precedence to personal preferences.
2: Mm.
0: You know, and that uh Yeah, you know, the public good, and it leads him to very imprudent things like the attack on Adams that backfire. Um, But one thing you can say about the man that I'm not sure you can say this about too many of the very smart and clever founders is that he always said exactly what he was thinking that, you know, he never pulled his punches. Uh, He he probably should have on many occasions. It would have kept him out of duels, for example. Mm. But instead, uh, he was an honest person. Uh, He he had a lot of, he had a strong sense of his own integrity and uh, especially his devotion to the public good to for which he'd sacrificed so much, Yeah, His family was impoverished while he was in government. Yeah. Uh, And he could have
1: been incredibly wealthy, yeah.
0: Yeah, he could have. And he was the leading attorney in New York City. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody recognized him as as the master of the bar. Um, And that's why he eventually quit the Washington administration after five-plus years. He had to go make money. Mm -hmm. uh, For
1: seven children.
0: Seven children, right. Um, and unfortunately, you know, he didn't make enough to provide for them. Upon his death, mm. uh, he appealed to friends in his last letters to keep an eye out for them oh. uh, and help them if they could. So, yeah, it's a, it's a. a as I, a, I sometimes look at Hamilton's life as sh- as a, a Shakespearean
2: tragedy.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it is. Uh, the arc arc of it is is amazing and his insight into other people that the letter about burr is 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 just clear that he saw into this as a dangerous person and that's proved even after his after hamilton's death but burr was a a dangerous menace
0: but yeah it's so interesting i mean jefferson He's a principled person. I don't agree with anything that he believes, but he's principled, and that's better than somebody who's unprincipled, who's yeah. totally unpredictable, and do whatever it is. It'll serve their interests.
1: <laughs> well, on that hopeful note about a great great Americans and that they're, 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 they're there for us to model ourselves on, I will just thank the scholar we've been talking to today, Bradford P. Wilson, co-editor with Carson Holloway of the 2017 two-volume set, The Political Writings of Alexander Hamilton, Volume 1, 1769 to 1789, and the political and the political writings of Alexander Hamilton, Volume Two, 1789 to 1804. And thank you, listeners. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Brad. And bye bye.
0: Thank, thank you, Hope. I really enjoyed it.
1: Good. Bye bye.